Welcome to the Sisterhood of Healing podcast, the podcast that wants to help you reach your best and most divine potential. Each week, we dive into topics concerning inner healing, wellness, and spirituality. We discuss strategies and practice from our own personal experiences regarding higher energies, trauma, and connecting to the divine as we take you through our own personal journeys to discover the highest versions of ourselves. In combination with guest speakers, we bring you a comprehensive guide to mental and spiritual wellness and the ability to connect to yourself and the world around you on a deeper level. I'm Nicole. And I'm Christina. And we are two sisters who want to take you along on our spiritual and healing journey. We are each on our own individual healing and spiritual path and bring unique perspectives regarding yoga, chakra healing, meditation, intuition, and trauma healing. Sometimes life is messy, sometimes it's confusing, and sometimes everything falls perfectly into place. Join us as we navigate the path to divine enlightenment together. Welcome sisters, brothers, and all non-binary listeners to episode three of the Sisterhood of Healing podcast. On today's episode, we're going to look at the transition from being a an elite level athlete or any athlete who's been practicing and, and performing their entire lives and that what the transition looks like when you leave the world of athletics and enter into a lifestyle where you are not performing at that level all the time. You're not competing at that level all the time because there can often be a disconnect that occurs uh, when you make that transition. And our guest today is going to help us make that transition, help us with our healing journey in going from a high-performing athlete, the world of athletics, and into becoming the most authentic expression of who we are outside of uh, a world of training and athleticism. So join me in welcoming Corey Camp to the show. Before we start talking to Corey, I just want to let everyone know that I'm flying solo today. Cole had a bit of an allergic reaction and she regrets not being here, um, but she's really excited to listen to this post show. So welcome, Corey. Thank you for having me, first and foremost. And we're going to send our, our well wishes to Nicole. Hopefully <laughs> she gets better here soon. Yeah, hopefully she's feeling better. All right. Well, uh, I'm really excited to talk to you. I was just saying before we started recording how when I came across, I, I just had to talk to you because I've always been very curious about like what happens to elite athletes after they're no longer training as elite athletes. So do you mind uh, just letting us know a little bit about what you do? Open you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. So um, I founded this company forever athlete and really what it's focused on is being the holistic support for athletes as they transition out into that next season of life, whatever that gets to look like. And a little bit of backstory for me is I, I grew up a swimmer, um, for the longest time. That was my whole identity. Anyone that knew me probably from ages seven until 20, that's probably the only thing they knew me as was Corey, the swimmer. And I was always the guy that going through life would be like, I'm sorry, I can't go to that. I have some practice. Like I'd get invited to parties in high school. I was like, great, cool. I have to leave at 10 because I practice in the morning or whatever it may be. And what eventually happened, I swam in college. So we had a pretty high level just below making like a national team, that sort of thing down here in the States. And even still, 
Um, I knew that like swimming wasn't going to be a forever thing for me. I, but I it took all my focus. It was all my energy and my effort into, I want to be the best swimmer that I could be. And I know a lot of athletes can relate to that. It's, it's especially tough. I think in Olympic sports, because even in the nature of an Olympic sport, even if you are at the pinnacle of it, unless your name is Michael Phelps, and even he has had some mental struggles that he's come out and come forward about, you can't really, one, make a living off of the sport itself. Like you do have to, you're reliant on maybe another job or endorsements or something like that. And then two, the world only really cares about your performance once every four years. So it, that kind of sets itself up for a very interesting dynamic that I'm sure we can unpack. But as I started to transition out, my last race ever was not how I wanted my race, my career to end. And that kind of just really sent me into, it wasn't even just that, it was that compounded with really this fact that for the first time ever that I could remember, I didn't have it figured out. I didn't have an answer as to what that next step was. And all of a sudden now there's this void that existed in my life. And it took me a while to unpack that, why that was in my experience. And then about three years ago, I started hosting my own podcast called Forever Athlete Radio. It was originally called the Athletic Mindset Podcast at the time. And I started talking with more and more athletes. And what I realized was my experience for all it was worth wasn't unique and that there was more and more people out there that were struggling this. So then I was like, you know, I'm really curious about this. I'm going to dive into like the research, what's happening from a neuroscience standpoint in our brains that's causing this discomfort and this dis-ease and this feeling of not feeling like ourselves for so long. Like when swimming ended, I would look in the mirror and I just, I hated one, what I saw. I didn't recognize who I saw either. And that led to a whole bunch of healthy, unhealthy behaviors that we can dive into as well. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm more than open to go there, but really what the research has shown is when we become reliant on just accessing what's known as flow state, which is that in the zone, uh, locked in state of being mental clarity where just everything goes right. And athletes are most familiar with this in their sport. And oftentimes it's because that's their primary flow activity. It's where they find it the most and with the most ease when we lose access to that, when it's no longer a part of our life, what can happen psychologically is we get locked out from that state of being altogether. And then we feel like we're fumbling around in the dark all around. So a lot of what my work is focused on is helping those athletes regain that flow in their life, regain that feeling of they're competent, they're confident in what they're doing. They have clear direction. They're not overwhelmed. They have the support around them. They have social support as well. They're connected with this feeling of a team again that has their back and it allows them to go take risks and talk about whatever they need to talk about without any sense of fear of judgment creeping in. Um, so yeah, that's, I'll let you kind of d- direct where you want to go from <laughs> that. Cause I know that was a, a long winded answer, but we can go so many different ways with that. No, that was such a fantastic answer. And I do have so many questions that I want to ask Perfect. based on that. Um, and I'm, I'm just thrilled to be talking about this because I think it really is such an important niche that you've hit um, and such an important transition that a lot of athletes need help with because 
like you said, you were like the swimmer, like that was your thing. And then like, what happens when you're not the swimmer anymore? So like, what were some of the biggest struggles that you went through when, Mm. when you, when you kind of hit that point where you're like, oh, okay. Like I'm not the swimmer anymore. Like, did you have, did you have this like big identity crisis? Like, what did it look like for you? How did it feel? Yeah. I mean, definitely identity crisis would be the the number one thing for me and kind of looking back retrospectively now what i realized swimming was really helpful for me to be this playground for my emotion for it was the it was my escape like it is for so many athletes right like it didn't matter what was going on in my day-to-day life when i had some practice i could be having a crazy week with a bunch of finals that were going to be stressing me out and i could be fighting with my partner and I could be doing all these things. But when I was in swim practice, it was like this moment where I got to focus on me and lock in on, on what was important to me. Not that those other things weren't important, but, and I realized it was that space where it really allowed the introvert in me to play, to really just like do its thing and be comfortable in that environment. And like I said, when I, when that ended, that identity crisis, I think also was a result of, I no longer had that container and I didn't know how to seek out that container. I didn't know what that got to look like without swim practice. I mean, you know how it is as soon as you become an adult, quote unquote, that Mm -hmm. you don't really have two hours consecutively in your day to just like do anything that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Just lock yourself in a room and play around with your thoughts. Like that's just not not the case. And that's the case for so many athletes is they don't have that time anymore to do a workout like they once did. And two, like they don't, I didn't really know how to work out without it being geared towards performance. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a very big difference between just going to the gym and like, oh, I need to get a sweat on today and like get a workout. And it's like, no, like every piece of training was very, very intentional. So the identity crisis was probably the biggest thing for me. And that manifested in so many different ways. I talk about it in my book where I I really turned to alcohol was my main like coping mechanism because I didn't like how I was feeling. Well, obviously, what's the the quickest way to not like, or, you know, solve that feeling is, uh, well, to not feel it. So I would try to numb with drinking as much as I could um, and spending time escaping my reality as much as I could. Uh, for context, I took a sales job refinancing mortgages, which was just about as sexy as it sounds. It was, <laughs> it was horrible. I was in a call center in the middle of nowhere, Maryland, where I'm from. And I just, I hated it. I hated it. And it, it was so far from what I expected my life to look like at that point in time. My expectation when swimming ended was since senior year of high school, I was studying physical therapy and had interned at a clinic. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a physical therapist once swimming's done, like no problem. Well, I was so focused on swimming during my college career and I had a fantastic stellar swimming career. My academic career was not there to get into any PT program post. So it was just kind of like this crushing reminder of like, well, now not only do you not have swimming, but you don't have the original career path that you've told people for the past eight years that you were going to go down you're answering phone calls every day. Like this sucks. This absolutely sucks. So 
yeah, those were the main ones that I think I, I really dealt with. And the solution for me really lied in doing a lot of inner work and realizing like how to not necessarily care about other people's perception of me, how to let go of the expectation and how to bring actually my expectations close to my reality. Because when we're able to do that, that's where we can truly find happiness is the closer those two are together. The further they are apart, the more discontent and the more uh, really dis-ease you're going to feel every single day because you're constantly looking up this mountain and reminding yourself, well, I'm on the bottom and I want to get there and I just feel so far away. And the solution really lies in like, well, can you lower the mountaintop to meet you where you're at? And what can you do to change your reality to get you a little bit closer? And that was kind of the solution that I found unknowingly, like over time. Wow. Um, well, I'm glad that you eventually like made your way out because not only were you able to kind of heal yourself, but you're helping so many other people as well, which is incredible. Um, you said something about you, you did a lot of work. So then you weren't caring so much about what other people thought. Did you find that as an athlete, was your mindset focused on like, we know it was focused on the goal. You'd mentioned that, but um, did you find that it was like you were working towards like pleasing others or performing for others. And then that's kind of where you had to make that shift. Mm, that's a good question. I don't think it was necessarily pleasing others, but it was trying to impress others for mm. sure. That's how I've always been um, someone that I like my actions to speak louder than my words. Like I was not a vocal, I was like two-time captain in college, uh, junior and senior year, but I was not a vocal captain. It just worked out that my events always led off the session or let off the meet. So I could always just be like, all right, guys, like we've done what we could do. Like, we're going to go out, like, let's go out there and, and do what it, we do. And if you need any inspiration, just go watch me. I want to go handle my business <laughs> and, and that should be good enough for you to be inspired to go and do yeah. your thing. So <laughs> You know, when I was no longer in a position where I was quote unquote good enough and confident enough in my ability to perform, it was like, okay, well, how do I impress those around me? Like, <laughs> it doesn't, it shifted, I guess, how it looked. Um, so, yeah, I'd say it was more that than it was people pleasing and trying to like stretch myself that way. And what was the, when you made this shift and you decided, okay, I'm not happy with my uh, job selling mortgages and, you know, I've really kind of lost like a sense of who I am. Like, what was like, what was the catalyst? What was the thing that motivated you most to begin your healing? And then second part of the question to, to help other people, like to do this for other people. Yeah. So it was while I was doing this mortgage refinancing, um, I got reached out to by a parent from the country club that I used to coach at. And she was like, hey, I don't know if you're still in the area or not. This is a long shot, but my kids really want to do lessons and they like will only work with you. I don't know what it is. And like, I couldn't tell you why, but like they only want to work with you and there's if you're around, like, could we do it? I'm like, well, I live in Baltimore at the time and they were, the club was down in the DC area. I was like, oh, that's like 45 minutes to an hour. depends on traffic. 
I was like, yeah, I, I'd be more than happy to. Like, I, I love, I love what swimming did for me, and I wanted to pay that forward to someone else. And when that opportunity came up, it just was a no-brainer. I was like, okay, I don't know if this makes any sense, but yeah, I'll come down for an hour. I'll teach two 20 minute lessons back to back and then leave. And I was spending more time in the car than I was actually at the pool teaching, but word quickly spread that I was around again and that I was teaching lessons. So before I knew it, I'd only teach on Sundays and it was my only day off from my full-time job. And I swear there was within a month I had, from 10 a.m. until about 4 to 5 p.m., all filled with lessons. Wow. And we're talking, I would, there were 20 minute lessons. I could do three lessons an hour and I would fill up that whole window with like back to back to back all the way for close to what is quick math, like seven hours or so, um, like six, seven hours. It was insane. And I started making more money doing that than I was in my full time job. <laughs> and so, one of the days after I had just finished a crazy long run of lessons, the assistant um, or not assistant, the operational manager of the club was like, Hey, we actually just let go of our head swim coach. Uh, it sucks that you have this full-time job because apparently like you would be perfect at this. The parents love you. And like, it just sucks that you can't coach in the summer. I was like, well, what if I told you I hate my full-time job? And like, <laughs> if we could make this work, like I am willing to do whatever, like get me out of there and like get me back on the pool deck. And I was very hesitant for that for a while, actually, prior to that moment, because what I didn't want was to be the cliche athlete that just, you know, when they felt lost, they just went back to their sport. Mm-hmm. But again, like had to rewire why I thought that way and detach from it and be like, but if I feel the most like me right now, when I'm doing this, screw it, let's do it. I don't care what it looks like, uh, which is a super interesting way to live life as a 23, 24 year old in the DC area. Like it's not very appealing in the dating scene to be like, oh yeah, so I'm a lifeguard and swim coach. (laughs) You're a what? And I was like, yeah, like it's, I was like, I promise it's good money. Like it, I can live (laughs) off of this. They're like, no man sorry we're gonna go talk to the consultant over here whatever it may be (laughs) like all right fine um so yeah that was kind of what that that transition started to look like and it was in i think that was the first time really in my own journey that i paused long enough to actually just listen to my intuition and say okay well what is it that i want like i don't care what it looks like even to my teammates like for the longest time, I, I took the sales job in full transparency because I wanted to be the first of my teammates to make $100,000 in a year. Why that number? I have no idea. That's the metric that we just decided was success down in, in the States here. <laughs> but <laughs> that was like why I took it full. Like, so taking a step back and being like, you know, I don't need to make $100,000. I can make enough money to make an impact. And then ironically, as soon as I started leading in the, leaning into that, more and more opportunities came and I started making more than a hundred thousand dollars before <laughs> and I wasn't focused on it. So yeah, that was kind of a little bit of that healing process and that journey there. Mm, so like leading with your heart really ended up taking you somewhere 
one where you needed to be and two where you were most passionate about it just kind of align everything aligned a hundred percent yeah I found so much joy in like I said like I know what swimming provided me and I knew the kids loved all the kids that I had the pleasure of getting to work with none of them were going to go on to be an Olympian in swimming at least I I laugh I coached more collegiate athletes that weren't swimmers then ended up becoming swimmers <laughs> like they all went on to be like lacrosse superstars and basketball and rugby and all this it was super super cool and super rewarding but I knew that the level at which I was coaching at wasn't going to yield the next Michael Phelps it was gonna so my responsibility there really became how can I just make them fall in love with this container with the sport and let it be an expression for them that is an escape from the craziness of their day-to-day and I think that's what allowed me to be so successful as a coach in that container, especially because at the end of the day, I was like, yeah, like I care about your performance. I want you to, to swim well, but I first want you to enjoy it. And as long as we're enjoying it, you're going to swim well. Yeah. And I think that's, what's so important. I think that's why I, like I grew up playing competitive soccer and Nicole was a competitive dancer and like we loved it. And I think that's, what's so important about getting kids into sports is that it gives them that space to, like you said, like just shut off and focus on that. Um, get out stress, like be one with yourself, whatever it is. It's so important. And the fact that you did give kids that space to do that, um, is really important to their development. And like you said, even though they didn't go on to be Olympic swimmers, they went on to other sports, whatever it is, like the, the lessons that you're still instilling are really important. Like the values for sport, the values for life, whatever it is, are going to take that and they're going to go elsewhere. So you definitely did make a big impact, even though <laughs> you weren't raising Olympians. Yeah. But you're raising, you're helping future, future adults, right? Yeah. Well, I talk about this paradox that is sport in our development of identity as well uh, in the book. And what that really is, is like, whether it be dance, soccer, or swim, most of us, when we find that thing that we really enjoy, we get enthralled in it because it is this proverbial playground for us to explore who we are. We gain so much confidence in that environment. Mm -hmm. Like I remember, I look back at high school, I was the most like shy, awkward kid outside of the pool deck, but catch me on the pool deck and I was trash talking. I was like, walking with my chest out all 130 pounds of me. I was like, this is just, it was ridiculous how confident I was there, but it was that playground that allowed me to explore who I was. And at some point it shifts to then becoming performance-based and only performance-based. And we lose sight of the initial thing that brought us into it. Mm. And that's where things can get tricky. We become attached to our performance and our self-worth is directly correlated. Well, did you win or did you not win? Did you do a best time or did you not do a best time? Like, all right, how do we, how do we detach from that? How do we just continue to explore this playground of self? And that is kind of a lot of the root of the work that when I'm telling when I work with athletes, especially initially in that transition phase, it's identifying what got them in the, their individual sport or their sport, um, respectively, in the first place. Like, what do they enjoy the most about it? How can we now recreate that into their day to day life without meaning like 
go and do your sport again, right? Like that's not the answer. Mm -hmm. It's not, <laughs> we don't cope and fill the void by just doing something else. I tried that. Like I really did. I went, I did master swimming, which is like 18 years old and up here. And I'll never forget first race dove in. I was beating everyone by like three body lengths right off the dive. I was like, this is not what I missed. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't, <laughs> swimming is not the answer. It's not bringing me joy. <laughs> But it really, for me, was I needed that introspective time to myself. So I set, started setting up my day where I was like, cool, I'll, I'll connect with people. But really, I need to make sure I have a few hours a day where I'm just like solo, by myself, focused on my one thing, perfecting that craft, whatever that gets to look like. So that's where, where it really starts with people is looking at why they got into their sport in the, the first place. How can we bring that to life for them now? And what lessons did they learn from that whole journey, that whole process? What really didn't sit right with me and the reason for the name Forever Athlete was former athlete I just didn't vibe with. I was like, to me, when I heard that, I I heard, okay, cool. The thing that you did for 18 plus years just doesn't hold any value anymore. It's a former past life. Now move on. And I was like, do I have to move on? Like, can we move on and still use the lessons and the superpowers that we cultivate during that time uh, i'm a believer of yes and that's what the difference maker is and that's why it's forever athlete like if you were once an athlete you're always an athlete you have certain ways of thinking and being that separate you from most people that are walking the streets and that's that's okay that should be celebrated yeah. and you should set up your life in a way that allows you to express that and that is conducive to your strengths because that's where you're able to find flow and really feel like yourself again. Sorry, as you were speaking, I was thinking about how you were saying you still needed to carve out that time for yourself to like mm. sit and to think aside from sports. And I've talked to like friends that, you know, grew up as athletes, still play, you know, beer league on the side, whatever it is. Um, and and since I went on my healing journey, I'm like, oh, do you meditate? Do you journal? And they're like, no, like, I just like get on the ice. Like, no, I just like get on the field. Yeah. No, it's different. Like, it's different, guys. <laughs> like, you need to separate that. It's totally, it's totally different from everything. So do you find that your clients um, have a hard time kind of separating that? Like, like stepping into this new form of, um, like reflection and like self-help when they were doing it like in the pool or on the field or wherever it was. Yeah. Because there's an attachment to an environment that they were super familiar with. So it first starts with how do we invite them into creating a new belief system here that they believe that they can feel that way in another environment in their life. Hmm. And, and also recognizing like, Yes, there's something special about that container. It's about the pool, about the field, about the whatever. You won't find the exact same thing, and that's okay. That's what that should be celebrated. That's what makes sport special, truly. Um, but what you will find is varying degrees of that. If you believe that you can find that, right? You'll you get what you you look for, and if you're constantly saying oh, this doesn't exist, or it's like, it works for everyone else but me. Well, guess what? It's not going to work for you. You have to invite them in first and foremost to creating, to being open to creating a new belief around this. And once that happens, then yes, we can 
find it in other areas. But it really starts with this sense of being. Can they feel confident? Mm -hmm. Can they be independent without needing X, Y, and Z, whatever that may be? If they can start with that feeling, then that can lead their actions. And then that will lead to them finding and having whatever they wanted to have and manifesting or attracting whatever like spiritual words you want to throw in there. But yeah, that's, that's the hard part I think is, especially in the athletic population is getting them open to seeing the value of meditating stillness, all these things, because you never, you never really take it. Like I viewed visualization for the longest time when my coach had us start to visualize like two weeks before a big race, I was like, cool, that's, that's pretty sweet. He put built in 10 minutes of nap time at the end of practice for us. Yeah. Like way to go, but thank you for that. That was great. Um, so it's like creating that buy-in, right? Like this actually has value um, and inviting them into it to explore it for themselves, meeting them where they're at, right? Like maybe formal meditation sounds too out there, too crazy. And like just something that you're just not okay with, you're not comfortable with doing. So what I usually invite people to try is, well, why don't you try making your morning coffee without music? Like just turn Mm -hmm. off the stimulation because that's really what you're doing in meditating. You're just removing the stimulus that exists in our day-to-day life. So you just create that space. And for five minutes, you listen to the coffee grinder grinding the beans and you listen to the water starting to boil. And then you like really tune in to the water pouring over the coffee or in your French press, however you make your coffee or your tea, whatever you choose to drink. But just removing stimulus, it's like, oh, cool. I took space for myself. That's really, that's the real benefit of that, right? Is you're creating space to allow things to come up. Where this is so valuable, we'll nerd out for a second on what's known as the flow cycle. So throw in a little bit of neuroscience in here. Flow (laughs) happens in four stages and it needs all four stages for it to exist. The first stage is struggle. So when we're learning any new skill, it's actually in that struggle phase. When we're toying around with something and we start to get a little bit frustrated. That's a good sign. Like we, when we flirt, when we flirt with frustration, that's a sign that we need to move on to the next phase, which is release. That's creating that space. So if we find ourselves struggling with anything, and we really are starting to get frustrated, our parents were right the whole time when they said, "Just take a break. Like take yeah. a take a breather." They were onto something, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, the point being, whatever you choose to take a break as, it has to be less exciting than what you're trying to then get into flow. Mm -hmm. So what I'll have a lot of people do is like, I'll have them stare at a white wall for 30 seconds to a minute and obviously come right back. And whatever they're looking at now is way more exciting than the white wall was for 30 seconds to a minute. That allows us to then move into the flow state um, more or less. And then once we're focused in and in flow, it's a high energy output. It leaves us exhausted physically, emotionally, mentally, sometimes all three of those at once, then we need to recover. So taking again, more space at the end to then recharge your batteries, get you ready to struggle again. And you just repeat that cycle. And once you start to really get good at it, you can go through that flow cycle three, four times a day. Uh, That's how the most effective and efficient workers and high performers live their life is through that four stage cycle. They understand that and they intentionally build out their life to allow for that. 
And so athletes have been doing this subconsciously their whole life. Think of how a game works. You go, you go warm up, you like get the cobwebs out, you stretch a little bit. You're like, all right, like I'm starting to feel good. Go through some maybe last minute drills. Maybe you struggle a little bit with them. They're struggling to hit pace, whatever your sport requires of you in that warm up. And then you take a break, take a, a second to like go grab some water, maybe listen to some music, like whatever those last minute things are, that's your release. And then obviously you pop into the game and now it's game time. Hopefully you find flow in that. And then after the game time, what do you do? You go out to eat with your team and that's your recovery, right? Like you, you're unwinding, you're relaxing, and then you're probably going home and passing out on the couch for <laughs> however long. So it's, it's an, it has been subconsciously built into athletes. They just haven't realized that that same structure can be applied and should be applied to their work, to their relationships, like to anything that they are looking and seeking flow in. If they just boil it down to those four parts of that cycle, easy win. Like your life will automatically start improving. It's pretty wild. Well, you just put that into perspective for me. I never thought of it like that, but a hundred percent. Yep. I agree with you. I can't even contest that. <laughs> it does. It makes sense so much. And how you're saying, just apply it to different parts of your life, whatever it is, like your job, like something that you're working on, um, like your relationship. It doesn't just have to be sports. Um, and the, the slowing down, I, I like how you gave the example of the you know, just your morning coffee, like listen without music. That's one thing to, um, when I talk to people about meditation, they're like, well, I don't have five minutes to just, yeah. sit. I don't have, you know, an hour to just sit with myself. I don't have this. I don't have that. And I said, well, like brushing your teeth in the morning, like when you're brushing mm. your teeth, like there's like two minutes, two minutes to yourself where you can just like reaffirm things and like build that confidence and, and whatever it is. So, um, yeah, you just gave us another, another example of how we can do that. And, um, it, taking like the world of athletics and, and kind of like sliding into kind of like your everyday life and like bringing those things together. I think that's, that's really interesting. I think that's really important for us to know because we don't have, in order to make a big change in our life, we can start with these little steps. Like it doesn't have mm. to start with these big profound movements, actions, whatever it is. And I think that's what makes change or transition like from one part of our life to another. So daunting is that you kind of think of the end result of what we want, but you can't start at the end. Like you've got to start with just a quiet yeah. cup of coffee, which is, which is, it's so interesting, right? Cause athletes are experts in that. And then looking at it that way, right? Like yeah, I knew and the way that swimming works in particular, it's a taper sport. So I knew like I would have to go through nine months of brutal training and like throwing my body through some crazy stuff to hopefully come and hit a successful taper where the yards come down. I get more well-rested. My performance then overachieves than what would be otherwise possible. I'm shaving the hair off my body, all these things for the hopes of like when you, when I really look at it, I'm like, that's insane. Like I trained nine months to just do well in a race. That's going to last four minutes mm -hmm. or 16 minutes, 15 minutes, because I was a distance swimmer, depending on the event. Like that's wild yet. Like I was so bought into it, but for whatever reason, a lot of athletes then like struggle to see those similarities and those parallels in the life post-sport. 
So, and I think another thing that is so fascinating is like athletes, there's obviously no, there's no lack of hard work. There's no question that they know how to work hard. They do, but the conditions are set for them to, to go and do that thing. When we remove the structure all of a sudden from sport, we fumble around not because we don't know how to work hard, not because we're not motivated. We just are lacking clarity and guidance so much so that it's so overwhelming that it leaves us stagnant. I was just going to, I was just going to ask, like, I wonder what the psychology behind that is where athletes, they, like you said, you train for nine months for four minutes, but then transition into life and athletes and and non-athletes alike. Yeah. The goal seems so daunting, but I think you just hit the nail on the head when you said it's like structured, right? It's like that structured where, where you know what your goals are, you know what your limits are and you're like, okay, I'm going to push it this far and then success is going to come or, or my goal is going to come or whatever it is. But life is <laughs> so much more broad than that. Yeah. But you can boil it down. I mean, you mentioned earlier a little bit about like why change is so hard from a neuroscience standpoint, why change is so hard is we find flow in the sweet spot that exists between our current skill level and the challenge at hand. And depending on how skilled you are, the more challenge. Uh, but if you're not very skilled, if you're novice in whatever it may be, you you need a lesser challenge for you to find that flow, to find that sweet spot where you feel confident and step in. What happens for most people when they go to make a change? They're trying to improve their skill set, but they're setting the challenge as if that was like already at the final product of their mm-hmm. skill set. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like when mm-hmm. when I set goal times, I knew that like the challenge, it would be way too much of a challenge, too much of a stretch for me to do that right then. So I was had to future cast it and be like, okay, cool. So nine months from now, I want to go 424 in the 500, but right now a 430. So like what happens to for me to drop six seconds in that nine months? Well, I need to improve my skill level. I need to improve my aerobic base. So I'm going to talk with my coaches, make sure enough aerobic base work is being done in my so I'm raising my baseline, my window of tolerance and my confidence so that I'm not getting winded when it's come race day and I can hold certain paces and hit different thresholds with, again, without getting too nerdy there, but <laughs> it's okay. you have to, if, once you start to look at both the challenge and the skill as a sliding scale, you have an invitation on a day-to-day basis to adjust either of those to meet you where you're at. That's where you can start to find more fulfillment and find more flow in your day to day. So it doesn't matter if your boss asks you to do something that you've never done before. When the challenge is too high compared to your skill, you're going to get anxious. You're going to get overwhelmed. And you're going to be like, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I don't feel confident in this. And so you'll probably underperform. On the flip side, if you're too skilled and the challenge isn't high enough, we procrastinate. We put it off. Yeah. We say, well, I've done this a million times. I've graded a million papers at this point in my teaching career. So I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to put it off until Sunday night. And that's when it's like due, right? How did you know? Yeah, exactly. It's probably what your students are doing as well, right? Like, oh, I've written so many papers. I can just put it off. I can procrastinate. So we can slide those, right? We can create false deadlines for ourselves. We can do various strategies and it's going to look different for everyone, but either looking at improving your skills and that's the one that takes the most time. But if you're looking to 
and improve your skill to get you closer to that challenge that is your ultimate goal, what you need to do is adjust the challenge in the meantime, in the interim to meet you more in that sweet spot. So you backtrack, like my example of nine months from now, I want to go a certain time. I'd say, okay, well, I would know I'm on track if six, if six months from now I go X time. And if three months from now I'm going this time. And if in practice today I hit X pace, I know that I'm well, and I'm kind of, I'm moving myself up with confidence. So that's kind of, you have to be able to break down the goals. And I think that's where so many people go wrong in goal setting and trying to make a change is they just have the end result in mind. And then they don't give it any more thought than that. It's just like, I want to lose 50 pounds. So like, let's do it. Diet, exercise, let's go. It's like, okay, great. But 50 pounds is a lot of weight. It's definitely possible. But it's a lot of weight. How do you meet yourself where you're at? Well, you, you need to start putting in metrics and like we're talking behavior change, right? So if you're starting at zero, you never go to the gym and you're eating like garbage all the time, going on a full-blown diet and committing to six days a week at the gym is a guaranteed recipe for disaster. You're going to fail. And even if you are successful, you're going to binge and fall off most likely whenever that time ends. I don't care how disciplined you are. You have to be real in some ways realistic and meet yourself where you're at. And that, that's what builds a sustainable lifestyle change and builds that sustainable confidence in long-term like, oh, okay, yeah, this is actually who I am now. It's not just something that I did for 30 days. I did whole 30 and now I'm a new person or whatever it may be. And I think that's what makes it really hard for people to stick to their New Year's resolutions too, is they're, like you said, I'm going to lose yeah. 50 pounds or... Um, I'm going to get up and start every day with X, Y, and Z or whatever it is. If you go from zero to hero, like it's daunting. And the method that you use where you said, you know, nine months, this is where I want to be. This is where I have to get six months. This is where I have to get three months, like the planning backwards. We actually use that in teaching. So we're like, what is, what is our goal at the end? Um, and what do our students need to get there? Or like what milestones do I need to make sure that they hit to get there? So it definitely... Um, it breaks it down for you so you can see what's coming and what mini milestones you have to meet before the big yeah. one. and it makes transition so much easier for yourself for the kids for, for whoever it is that's doing that right because how are you going to just get up one day you've never worked out in your life we'll use that example again yeah worked out it's january you're gonna start going to the gym but like that would be such a daunting task like so so daunting because how do you know if you're doing it right? Like where, where should you be, you know, within a certain amount of time? And like you said, it just leads to anxiety and overwhelm. So a lot of grace, a lot of Yeah. If you view that, if you view January one, that decision's classic example, we Mm -hmm. love this temporal start, right? This idea (laughs) that's a fresh page in front of us, but really every day is a fresh page in front of us. We just, our brain just makes some dates arbitrarily more important than others. That's mm-hmm. just how it works. Mm-hmm. We're more likely to be motivated to make a change at the first of the month, a birthday, a holiday, a turn of the calendar year, whatever it may be, a start of a new decade, right? Like that's why these midlife crises happen at like 20, 25, 30, you hit 40 and you're like, oh my God, like I need to get my life together, whatever. It's because your brain has made this like temporal start a much more bigger deal than it is. But whenever you're making a change, instead of what I invite people to look at it is instead of looking at it as it's a permanent thing for the rest of your life, it's a decision for that day. Commit mm-hmm. to that. 
because that's really like the only way you can change your past or your future is by focusing on the present. So if we can change the present moment and how you're currently acting, you can undo years and years of harm and all that that you've done to your body and your mental health and well-being, whatever. It starts with how you show up today. Mm. And if you can do that, then you can change what goes on in the future. You can change the trajectory of your life, but you have to be bought in on here. And we suck as a society as being bought in on here. It's just not how we work. No, I love that. And they say that it takes three weeks to build or break a habit. So if you're taking things day by day by day, eventually, yeah, you're going to change your mindset. Yeah. And I think too, it's important to note, like we need grace in that process Mm -hmm. as well. Like Mm -hmm. depending on how long you've been doing the habit, it's the more wired and ingrained that is in your brain. I like to use this example of, if you think of a mega highway, um, like eight lanes, like the 405 over in LA, it's massive. And yeah, like the more you've been living a certain way, your belief system runs that and it's super paved. And hopefully in an ideal world, the traffic doesn't exist and like it runs smoothly. When you start to try to make a change, what you're asking your brain to do is go to a different destination. Mm-hmm. And that takes time. It's like starting on a gravel road. If that, it's a dirt path most likely for a lot of people. It's why we get frustrated when you took the same route every year or every day to work, to school. And then if you showed up one day and you got halfway through your route and they were like, oh, it's a detour. What is this? You get frustrated because yeah. it's unfamiliar, right? You can still go to the same place. You just need to find a new way around it, but it takes time. And over time, I'm sure if like the detour became the new main route, you'd, you wouldn't even notice a few years from now. Mm-hmm. And maybe every once in a while you'd reminisce, like, oh man, I remember that way I used to get to work. That was, that was a, that was a good time while it lasted. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like whatever, whatever it may be, that's, that's what's happening with the neural pathways in our brain is when we try to start a new shift, it is building a new detour. So it's going to be bumpy. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to take a lot of energy and effort at first. Mm-hmm. So give yourself grace in that. Understand that and be like, it's okay. If you mess up, it's okay. It's a new day. It's a new fresh start after that. Yeah. That's one thing that I always say to clients is, is just give yourself grace, especially when they're going through shadow work or whatever it is, or, or, you know, practicing something new is this is new for you. So give yourself grace, be gentle with yourself. If you wouldn't get frustrated at someone else for this, you know, don't get frustrated yourself. And it's, it's so easy to get frustrated yourself because you hold yourself to such high expectations, but yeah, grace is the one thing I would say, give yourself grace, be gentle with yourself. Um, Which is a tough one for athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're so hard on yourself. Like you need, like you need to win, you need to score. You need to like, you put so much pressure on yourself as an athlete. Yeah. I mean, I look, I look at my best performances and even my best performance ever in my life in the swimming world. Like I still picked it apart. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, like that is a good thing because I'm always striving to be a little bit better, but yeah, that has a time and a place. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I see it a lot with, because I coach uh, at school, like grade 9s and 10s, 15, 16, 14, 15, 16-year-olds, mm-hmm. uh, soccer. And you hear a lot of a lot of the, like our strongest kids will get off the field and say, oh, like the first thing they'll do is criticize themselves. And yeah. you really have to install, and you would know this as a, as a coach, like instill that 
that sense of um just sense of positivity in them like that positive self-talk because yep. right away they're so critical of themselves uh, yeah I, michael gervais is a i'm a big fan of his work he's a sports psychologist um and works primarily with the seahawks and a bunch of other teams down here and one of my favorite sayings he has around self-talk is like if we listened to how we talked about ourselves it, the same way that we're able to listen maybe as a parent and like imagining a coach talking to our kid the same way that we're talking to ourselves you'd probably be appalled yeah. with that coach's behavior yet we're so okay with being like dude you're such an idiot like why did you mess that up like it's it's bad but if you can take a step back and recognize that and say okay cool i can i can still get better without having the need to like criticize myself mm-hmm. and now i'll be way actually more motivated to like go and make a change it's coming from a healthy place yeah rather than a like i'm not worthy enough place mm. yeah and that's so big as well um so considering all these things we've discussed what would you say um the biggest roadblock for your clients is would it be the negative self-talk would it be uh resistance to change like what would be their biggest roadblock overall that you see the most often such a good question i think the biggest roadblock is like having the compassion to to meet themselves where they're at oftentimes Mm -hmm. and like recognizing because a lot of the people that I'm working with are coming off of being elite at what they did for so long and like that's the identity that they've taken on so having some sort of compassion in that process and being the ability to meet themselves with where they're at with some form of grace and recognize like just because I'm a beginner again doesn't mean like all is lost it just means that actually we can get really excited about this. It's a fresh yeah. new chapter and we can find and tap into that joy that we found when we first got in the sport. Um, but it is challenging a hundred percent. I mean, and it's harder, the more elite that athlete played at mm-hmm. the better that they were. It's almost like that further that fall is. Mm-hmm. It's really harsh when the people around you just like don't, cheer your name anymore or your your team you the fans of your team don't care and stop to ask you like about your day and like how you're how you're feeling rehabbing from that injury because you don't represent that team anymore you can still be super banged up but now people don't care quote unquote yeah that's like a that's a huge hit to that ego so having that compassion be like you know let me remove the ego and say let's let's embrace this beginner again mentality but it's not really starting over you have such a leg up on the people around you Mm -hmm. because of that past experience Mm -hmm. you've got the skill set yeah it's a it's a launching pad to that next season of life whatever that gets to look like very cool very cool so what do you do with your clients i know you've got um like your coach i know you've got some retreats going on which i think look pretty interesting can you tell us a little bit about that i'm really interested actually in the retreats yeah, so I I started what I call them our away games because I think so many athletes, we had this experience growing up and playing sport. It took us to all over the world. We got exposed to travel and going into these new cities, but we never actually got to experience the culture of the places that we went. 
like I went to Buffalo for a meet when I was 12 and I never saw Niagara Falls, never went across the bridge to Canada. Like I never had the original Buffalo wings. My parents, my brother all did that while they were at the meet. And they were like, okay, they were sending me pictures on like my flip phone. They're like, hey, look at us. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm stuck in the hotel or the pool. So I started throwing these away games to really bring athletes together again, give them the cultural experience of these cities that we host them in, whether that be right now we've just done Austin and LA. Um, and through that process as well, mix in some personal development, mix in that to the fold where they start to get some exposure to breath work where typically they probably wouldn't be doing breath work throughout their day because they just don't make the time for it. Right. Um, and ironic and the fun part about this ironically is the whole away game is set up as a neuroscience experiment of flow cycle. The itinerary follows that four step flow cycle that I mentioned earlier. So I'll intentionally throw people through some struggling, whether that be a workout, then I'll intentionally design some sort of release where like, Hey, we take a break. We come back together for something that's really, truly transformational where we find flow together as a group. And then we'll have some downtime to recover and then we'll rinse and repeat. And so at the end, it's usually, okay. So like you probably felt like you managed to do a lot this week or this weekend. Hopefully you don't feel too, too drained. You probably feel fulfilled. That's the feedback that I've gotten from people. And we mm -hmm. continue and, and tweak this because it is an experiment. Mm -hmm. And I let them know, this is what you went through. This is why it worked. And this is why you're probably feeling the way that you're feeling. My invitation to you is how can you continue this on in your life? And that's the, the true profound impact there. So that's the away games. Um, yeah, that's been super fun. And then I do one-on-one -on -one coaching outside of that. And I'm in the process right now of creating a membership platform. I'm calling the Forever Athlete Social Club, where it's just a, it's peer-to-peer -peer learning, a space for athletes of various backgrounds and experiences to come together and truly get mentorship from one another, peer support in a way that you don't necessarily, you're not able to really get in the outside world. A lot of athletes struggle with processing their experience because they try to like verbalize it to people that just don't get it, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And then they, they get shut down because it's not met with something receptive. Like the mental struggles that I've had and processed I'm like, dang, a lot of that would have been solved if the people in my immediate support network were actually more understanding or took the time to understand where yeah. I was coming from rather that than be like, like yeah, it's like, it's so just suck it up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's not that bad. It's called aging. You get older, your body deteriorates. <laughs> I'm like, you just don't get it. You really no. don't get it. Like, <laughs> no, it's, it's a totally different level. Yeah. Yeah. So creating that container for people, for athletes all over the world to connect with one another over that shared experience and making it a private container uh, application only so that we can verify everyone who is in that container is legitimate and they have the a similar experience or a similar, I don't want to say similar experience, an experience that allows them to help us maintain the integrity of that space and what mm. it's intentionally created for. Um, so I'm really excited for that. That's going to be coming here in the next few weeks. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. Well, we'll definitely, um, at the end, we'll get your socials and we'll, uh, we'll definitely get our listeners to connect with that. Um, it. So you've, you've given us a lot of really good information. I love how you said you nerded out, gave us like the psychology behind things. <laughs> it's the stuff I can't really talk about on TikTok because on TikTok, like it's got to be quick. It's got to be so action, quick, yeah. Right? Yeah. But that's the stuff I'm really passionate about. 
No, and I think it's so important. I, I love learning about, I, I mean, I love when people are really passionate about what they do, but I love learning about the science behind things because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm not scientifically minded at all, but I think the science is so interesting in understanding like the way humans work, the way we tick, um, understanding like how we can get from point A to point B and get better um, and heal ourselves. Um, what is one thing that you could recommend in that realm Um maybe you recommend this to your clients, maybe you recommend this to people on TikTok, but like, what's one thing that people can do every day to start to become the healthiest version of themselves? Mm. So it's super simple. Instead of creating a to-do list, create a to-be list. Oh, I love that. So step into that intention of ask yourself, who do you want to be? And then let that to-be list run your to-do list. So what that looks like is... Like for me, before popping on here, it was taking 30 seconds to set an intention. How do I want to show up on this? Mm-hmm. I just came off of this frustrating hour and a half long conversation with Verizon. <laughs> and I'm like, I can let that dictate my energy, but that's not how I want to show up on this. Yeah. So I'm going to create the space that allows me to set an intention. I want to be of service. I want to provide value and hopefully tell a good story in that process. And because I then set that intention, I then was able to do a podcast recording. So if someone's listening in and they're they're struggling of, of this, like that's a tangible way to do it. But taking that space at the start of your day, lay out and ask yourself, who do you want to be today? How do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And then how does that get to show up in your day? You have that permission every single day to to take that time for yourself. And it's in that you get to change who you are right now. You don't have to wait until you have a million dollars to feel like a millionaire to feel like can, a million bucks. Yeah, yeah. You can like, you can feel that right now. It's happening to that feeling and then that's going to drive your actions. And then that's going to drive what you end up having and the result, so to speak. That's such great advice because I know if we're going to make any type of transformation, it's that feeling that you want to achieve. And I think you did say this at the beginning of our discussion, like, <laughs> How do you want to feel at the end of this? Forget about the goal. Like, how is it that you want to feel? Like you want to maintain that confidence that you had when you were poolside or whatever it is. And this is, I'm going to, I'm going to start thinking like that. Like how, who do I want to be today rather than what are my goals? Like I've always got like a list of like to do things Mm. I need to check off at the end of the day, but um, yeah, that is such, such great advice. Um, How do you balance though? Like you're so busy, we're so busy. Like we've got this, like how I want to be, how I want to feel. Like how do you balance all of that, or how does one balance all that? How do you get your clients to balance all of that? Uh, a lot of different ways. Boundaries is huge. Um, definition of it looks different for everyone, but what does it all look like? Mm-hmm. You have to be able to define that for yourself, and then ruthlessly eliminate things that do not fall into that category for you based off of your values and the season of life that you're in um, be realistic with yourself right like don't try to train for an Ironman the same time that you have a kid and you're getting married and you're moving like we know that's inherently way too much on our plate mm-hmm. and but for some people that might not be that much they're they're used to operating at that kind of level of capacity yeah. <laughs> so recognizing that you know I'm not other people. I'm my own person. So for me, it's, it's constantly reevaluating. Okay. What is it that's on my plate? Looking at it, this lens of what needs to be eliminated. What can I delegate out? Do I need to hire? Do I need to 
outsource something. Okay, great. What does that get to look like? Then what do I get to prioritize? What's really important to me based on right now on my, my values? It's urgent as well. And then what I get to really plan? What's like not very urgent, but it is important. It's going to help mm-hmm. set me up for stuff long-term exponentially and setting aside like 20% of my time to focus on that. Mm-hmm. And then the boundaries of being very intentional of anytime I get invited to go do something or asked to do whatever, like I take a second tap in go back to that like how does this make me feel first and foremost well i feel overwhelmed by saying yes and committing to this mm-hmm. okay great i get to practice what i preach and take a step back and say you know thank you for that invite one of my favorite ways this is great for people pleasers out there um one of my favorite ways to say no without feeling guilty is through this no yes no sandwich so when you tell someone no what you do is you just say hey I really appreciate you inviting me to X. However, I'm, say for example, for, you choose to take uh, alcohol out of your life for 30 days and you get invited to a bar. So you could say, hey, I really appreciate the invite. I would love to spend time with you. However, I'm doing 30 days sober right now. So I would have to pass on this setting. I'm not going to go grab drinks with you, but would you be open to going to grab a coffee tomorrow morning instead mm-hmm. and reaffirm them the no at the back end because it lets them know you're actually serious about the boundary that you're setting in the first place and say, yeah. however, just tonight for drinks, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And that allows you to still offer an alternative while also honoring your truth and the season of life that you've decided that you're in. Hmm. Very cool. That's some great advice, especially for all the people pleasers out there. That was definitely me at one point <laughs> for a vast majority of my life. Yeah. <laughs> easy to do. It's it's really easy to do. It, I mean, that's the hardest part about building community for me personally is like I get now invited to literally all the things. People are like, oh, come to my event, come to this event, come to that. And I'm like, I host my own events. Yeah. For you to come there. Yeah. <laughs> just come to me. <laughs> you know, like just come here. It's easier that way. Yeah. You were talking about, um, and I did see this on uh, your TikTok, the 30-day sober. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So I'm actually a a little over a year and a half into sobriety myself. It started with 30 days. It started with the January 1, 2021 (laughs) saying, I'm going to remove this from my life for 30 days and just see how I feel and continue to tap in. And in full transparency, I don't know if it's a lifelong thing for me. I still am just literally tapping in each day and saying, does this serve me with where I'm at right now? Does it feel aligned? And right now it it doesn't, like, I don't really find, I haven't found myself in a situation where the joy that I would get from partaking and having a drink right now outweighs like everything else that I'm feeling. And that might change. I don't, I don't know. Ironically, I started sharing what I, I created this program called sober 60, where it's just a 60 day invitation to people to explore a sober curious lifestyle and it's daily prompts to kind of help them create that space help them get their mind off of oh man i'm not drinking and rather focus on you get to create new experiences for 60 days mm-hmm. and maybe those new experiences are something that you want to continue lifelong amazing but we would just remove alcohol for 60 days and create that space i was creating uh, a daily vlog style series with it and I actually had, I took a step back and stopped because after 15 days of creating this vlog style, I was like, 
I'm like now counting down in my own head and being like, oh, at the end of 60 days, I'm going to go out and like just binge drink. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's not the behavior that I want to like reinvite yeah. into my life. One of the hardest things for me in like college swimming was we, Delaware, where I went was a fairly large party school. And we would do a, we would do a, a dry season for like six weeks leading up to our conference meet, the big meet of the year. But dry season was always followed by wet week. And mm. wet week was like, you're putting, lord knows what into your coffee cup and you're drinking that going into class and you're <laughs> you you know like it was just so over the top because we like deprived ourselves of it i'm like i don't want this yo-yo lifestyle mm-hmm. again so I, I took a step back from the, the sober 60 daily content because i was like i just and it took me forever to honestly even be okay with sharing sobriety as a piece of content that i talked about because like i said like i didn't i didn't go about it going to AA meetings. I didn't go about it doing like the traditional sober route. I just tried for 30 days and here we are a year and a half later. Just decided. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It is what it is. No, I I honestly think that's good for you. And I think so much centers around uh, alcohol in our society and it's become so normalized, but it, it it seems to like not be the norm. Like I have a friend who doesn't drink and people are always like, why? Like, why don't you, they question, like, why is there something wrong? And he's like, no, I just choose not to. (laughs) It's like, it's not, it's only weird if you make it weird. That's what I tell people. I'm like, I am confident and comfortable in my decision to do it. Just like, don't make it weird. Yeah. Don't, or or I totally get people are, it's a foreign experience to them. So they have every right to ask, but like, don't let it be this like point of fascination where it's like the only thing that we talk about. Like exactly. I want to get to know you beyond just your profession and yeah. all of that. Like you yeah. can get to know me beyond just sobriety being a piece of my life. Yeah. So you've, um, okay. So you've got your TikTok. I can see your forever athlete sweater. I can see half of it. <laughs> there <Yeah>. we go. <laughs> Repping the forever athlete. You also have a book as well. How did that come about? Was that the first Correct. thing that took you into coaching? Did you have coaching on the book? Did you have your experiences? Like, how did that all come together? The timeline was I had the podcast and then that led into coaching over time. And then as I was doing more and more of the podcast, the way that the book is set up, it is a compilation of 18 different athletes' stories of transition and finding their true self, transcending beyond just sport. And it was really a byproduct of people that I was connecting through with either coaching or the podcast and just saying, Hey, your experience, I think would lend a very valuable, just perspective to this project that I have in mind. Let's come together. And I facilitated this co-author project with 17 other athletes, all sharing their experience. And it's led to a really, really powerful, unique book project because each chapter reads almost as its own little book. Mm. It's like 10 pages, 15 pages per person. It's it's not a thick textbook style. It's really written in the voice of each of those athletes. They literally wrote their own chapters. So the voice, oh, nice. the, the way the story is told changes each chapter to chapter, which is usually a, a really inviting way for people that aren't quote unquote readers to check something out. Cause they're like, okay, cool. I can, I can read a 10 page article or 15 page article or story, whatever that looks like. Um, but there is that underlying theme that you can tap into your true identity still without being dependent on just one thing. 
mm-hmm. what we do for a living, whether that be our profession, our sport, or the roles and identities that we have, they don't define us, but they are an expression of who we are. That's what they get to be. So it's an invitation for people to start exploring how can they start to express themselves in more ways than one on a day-to-day basis? Because that's where you truly find this fulfillment. But that's that's the chronological order of how this book came about. <laughs> that's so fantastic. I was going to ask, uh, what are some ways that you know our listeners can grow beyond their identity as athletes? But you know what? I think they should probably just pick up a copy of the book and read about it themselves. Perfect. Yeah, do that. <laughs> um, do that. And, and really, what I, I think I said it earlier of, what I do oftentimes is just tap in of like, I'm constantly trying new things. I'm putting myself in different situations to learn about myself in that process, which sounds uncomfortable for some people that might be also introverted. Um, I tell people too, I'm like, I was never thought I would be a content creator. Um, But the moment that I started to lean into accepting that I can be a creator the content started to get better. Mm-hmm. So if you are constantly saying, oh, I'm introverted, easy for you to say, don't, I can't put myself out there. Confidence looks different for everyone. Meet yourself mm-hmm. where you're at. You can build confidence relative to where you are at. Maybe that looks like having a conversation with one person. Maybe that looks like sending someone a message online. Who knows? It's relative to the individual. Start there and just slowly at your pace, start to expand that comfort zone a little bit. That's so fantastic. And eventually that leads up to you being your authentic self, right? Like you're expanding your comfort zone. You're, you're like yeah. leaving those like four walls of what you kind of almost programmed yourself to be right. Like it's like the safety yeah. box of safety. And then yeah, it leads to who you really should be authentically. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I looked at the content example. It's like, well, if I didn't view myself as a content creator, I couldn't really be mad at myself if things that I put out flopped because mm-hmm. I wasn't a content creator mm-hmm. so like there's a it's almost like a protective mechanism right if I don't lean into it then I don't have to take responsibility for the result yeah. but you need to be able to lean into it to see a better yield or better return on investment so to speak yeah because you're not half assing it anymore <laughs> yeah I feel like that's definitely one of the things that uh, I've struggled with the most is being vulnerable as a like online vulnerability is also (laughs) relative right like yeah yeah a lot of i get that feedback a lot from people they're like you're so vulnerable online i was like yeah but it took me so long to get to this place vulnerability is relative just like confidence Mm -hmm. whatever you feel called to like share with the world can be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and it's not on other people to judge whether that was vulnerable or not it's on you Mm mm-hmm type deal i had a i did a social experiment like a year ago uh when i was in la and what i invited people to explore when they came was it was 20 people and we went around exploring the question of like what is something you're currently struggling with or struggled with in the past and it was very interesting i had a friend who prides himself on vulnerability and at the end of the experiment like a day later him and I are grabbing coffee and he goes, you know, I was really disappointed by some of those people in there. They weren't very vulnerable. And I was like, all right, I'll save, save his name. But I was like, <laughs> all right, man, like, let's take a step back. I was like, vulnerability is relative. Like just because you're more comfortable sharing a deeper piece of you to strangers doesn't mean that 
it's not equally as scary internally for someone to share a seemingly on the surface more surface level struggle yeah and that's okay yeah it is more surface level like that probably is exemplifying too like the like where they're meeting themselves and like the level yeah you know that they're at yeah. you just i was like if we just look at you know did they sweat a lot did they get some pet pit stands okay great they were they were, they were, they were being nervous they were being vulnerable it's fine yeah <laughs> can't oh, be mad at them that's amazing um okay one more question before we wrap it up yeah. uh if you and we ask all our listeners that or sorry all of our uh, guests this what's one piece of advice that you could leave for our listeners mm. you can't force flow mm. just let it be like you can do everything that you can to try to encourage it but in at the end of the day you kind of need to surrender to catch that wave so mm. don't try to force it just let it happen and let your intuition take over I love that. I actually just uh, posted something today on Instagram about surrendering. How surrendering is not giving up; it's letting go and just letting go and like welcoming. So it's <laughs> it's funny that you should say that because something that was on my mind today. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so don't force the flow, people. Don't force the flow. <laughs> and where can listeners connect with you? Um, they can connect with me on TikTok at Forever Athlete. Or Instagram is just Corey Camp, C R Y C A M P. Um, from there, they can find links to all the other stuff, podcast, book, community. Uh, but I'd love to connect with it. If anyone listened to this and they made it this far, one, I appreciate you. <laughs> Christina, I appreciate you having us. Uh, I hope that Nicole feels better here soon. I but, know. Um, yeah, if, if something resonated with you as a listener, reach out. More than happy to connect. Uh, if you have questions, shoot me your questions. We'll dive deeper. Yeah. And like I said, in the beginning of the podcast, I, I think that what you're doing is going to help so many athletes. I think it's, it's a niche that is necessary. It's something I've always thought about. So I do hope that a lot of the listeners who either are athletes, um, no former athletes can get in touch with you or, or get them in touch with you. But thank you so much, Corey. Thank you. That's it for our show today. Thanks for joining. Remember, you can always reach out to us on our socials, on Instagram at sisterhood underscore of underscore healing, or on TikTok at sisterhood of healing. We love to hear from you, so please reach out to us at any time. Thank you for journeying with us today. We'll see you next time.